0: Brilliant, so we're uh, going to have our reading in just a few moments, but before, before we get there, you can turn there now, Psalm 13, um, but before we get there I'm just going to say a few words about um, Psalms of Lament and to introduce uh, our series. It is a, a self-evident, undeniable fact that all is not right with our world. All right, it'd be monotonous, monotonous, for me to kind of list uh, a number of the ways of of why that is true. Uh, But just open your news app, flick open a newspaper, think about your last week, think about the week to come, and you'll know that's true. We live in a world that is so full of pain, justice, sorrow, and hardship. So as we were over here, we have a broken world. And then as it were over here we have the Bible's repeated emphatic teaching that God is sovereign. That means he's in control. And that means he's in control of cosmic events right down to the events of our lives. He is sovereign. He is good. He is loving. We have a broken world and a sovereign good God who speaks promises of hope. I guess the question for us then is how do we bring these two things together? And I don't mean in a theoretical way. I'm not talking about a debate down the pub, philosophical, trying to reconcile this. I mean in moments of excruciating physical pain, in heartbreak, in loss, how can we hold these things together? In those huge ways, but I guess in a to a lesser in the kind of smaller ones, you know, after a, a few bad nights' sleep in a row, when the news depresses you, when you've had a really rough week. How can we hold these two things together? The sorrow and God's sovereign goodness? Well, the answer, or at least the answer we're going to be thinking about over the next five weeks, is lament lament. The the word lament just literally means to, to passionately express sorrow. But over the course of these five weeks we're going to build up a far richer and fuller understanding of what lament means and what psalms of lament are. But God has given his people a process and a language to keep these two things together. You might think, five weeks, kind of fairly downbeat um, psalms. Why, why would we look at them? Isn't it a little bit niche? Uh, why spend this time doing so? A little quiz for you. What rough percentage do you think are psalms of lament? There are 150 psalms. What rough percentage of those do you think are psalms of lament? Shout it out. 30. 10, 30? 90. 90. Someone always overshoots, don't they? You know, you're, gonna, um, you're always the one. 10, ten 30. I'm going to ignore 90. 10, 30. Five. Five thank you. Five. Three. 20. 70. Seven, oh, seven, another another high ball. 70. Depends basically. No one like people classify them differently. But depending on who you listen to, 30 to 40 percent of the psalms, the psalms are psalms of immense there's not a niche section, okay, this is a significant chunk of the psalms, 30 to 40% of them. And this, this topic has been um, on my mind and I guess probably on a number of our minds since the house party last year. Um, Jim Wolfer came and preached on Job and the immense suffering that he went through, Job went through. And Jim highlighted the psalms of lament for us as something to think about, to develop our understanding of how we deal with and process suffering and so it's kind of been on, on my mind I also read this book in, in the meantime um, Dark Cloud's Deep Mercy he, he goes a bit off on a few kind of side points every now and again but his basics of Psalms of Men I found incredibly helpful I'm going to kind of quote him I won't necessarily tell you but if it sounds good it's probably his um, as, as we go through but, but one more thing and, and really the main thing that we're looking at this is actually I think this is going to be a real word in season to a lot of people in our church family Uh, This week I asked our staff team and ministry trainees, I said, I'll give you three words to describe our church family as we are now. Now that is an impossible task. hundreds of people, how can can you summarise that up? And we had all the, the kind of great things that you'd expect, welcoming, supportive, committed, growing, caring, faithful. We also had pressured, tired, stressed. And my one would be weary. Our church family now, as we are, I would suggest that perhaps one of the words that would sum us up would be weary. Young children and worn out. High-pressure jobs that are demanding too much of us. People struggling with illness and other personal difficulties and have been for a long time and are weary of those things. And so I'm praying that this series, as we look at these Psalms of Lament, is going to help us to understand and to deal with these things. And I'll say this a number of times. I want us to do two things as we look at these psalms. Firstly, I want us to learn from lament. So as we look at these psalms of lament, we're going to learn about God, the world that we live in, ourselves. But I also want us to learn to lament, to see their lament, the psalmist's lament, and how that might shape our prayers to their language may become ours. We're now going to read today's. We're going to start off in Psalm 13, as I've said, and Ruth is kind of going to come up and read Psalm 13 for us. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. Thanks, Ruth. And and, and let me just pray again as we come to this. Father God, we come to you from different places. Uh, for some of us, we are coming at, to church this morning in real suffering and real pain and real difficulties. Other us not. For those indeed who are, please Father would these words be of great help to us. but likewise for those who aren't, please would this be preparing us for when the difficult times, times do come. Please teach us by your spirit from your words that you would change our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So how do you react in times of difficulty? So when things go wrong in your life, what do you do? Now, we're all different people. We're all going to have our our different natural tendencies, our different instinctive reactions. For some people, and perhaps, may I suggest, culturally... The, the the kind of answer is well we pretend it's not happening, and a bit of that kind of ignore it, right? What is your answer when someone at church says how are you? Fine, thanks. Right? Everyone fine, thanks. Uh, uh, no, I know, we've been polite and whatnot. But but our general reaction for a lot of us might be just you know to pretend it's not happening, ignore it, carry on as if it's not happening. For some, our natural tendency is going to be to kind of run away, escape. Forget about it by turning to whatever, to, to hours and hours of Netflix, to alcohol, to pornography, to whatever it may be. Escape, get out of there. For some, our instinct actually is to gonna end up spiralling, to, to turn inwards and get sucked in and, and go work, get worse and worse and worse. For some, our natural instinct is to fix it. Here's a problem, I will fix it myself. There is a way out of this. And there may be many others too. Now, I think too often we do these things, our, our responses are, are subconscious. Where Psalm 13 is going to teach us that actually we need to be conscious of, how, of deciding how we are going to respond when these difficult things happen. We need to choose to turn to God and to trust Him. And that is a conscious thing. But that is not always going to be easy. Uh, The first point you see on the sheets, if you could have that there as well. You see, David, the writer of Psalm 13, was experiencing total devastation. Total devastation. If you look down at verses uh, 1 and 2, it's got kind of five lines. Sorry, the the lines are squished, so it's more. But it's got five lines, and it shows David's comprehensive sorrow. And his turmoil is caused by this cocktail of of a broken, what feels like a broken relationship with God, internal confusion, and an enemy who's seeking to do harm. It's spiritual, personal, and circumstantial, it's a triple whammy. That he's going through. Let's look at it first off, spiritual. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? To forget in the, in the Bible isn't isn't this kind of um, a cognitive thing? It's not literally God as oh hello David, there you are. I've totally forgotten about you. Uh, but but it's to, to to forget is to kind of to withhold um, comfort and help. Often we, we hear of people pleading to God to remember and what they mean is remember come and act again and to David it feels like well God has forgotten him he's, he's not helping him in the circumstances that he's in and, and secondly God is, it feels to him like he's hidden his face from him the opposite of you know that Abrahamic blessing may your face shine upon me with all your blessings well it it's the opposite to, to David's. It's He feels abandoned by God. He feels this alienation. To put it very strongly, this is kind of like a foretaste of hell. He feels that God has abandoned him. And that's Broken relationship that he feels with God, well that causes this personal, internal struggle. So verse 2 How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Taking counsel in my soul is kind of a a strange way of putting it, isn't it? But it's it's that idea of he's wrestling with these things, he's thinking about these things, he's planning he's trying to understand and, and he can't make sense of it. And the second line helps us to understand it. That sorrow in my heart all the day, deep down sorrow. He wakes up and his stomach drops when he remembers that it's not all been a dream. He goes through the day feeling sick because of all that is happening. He goes to bed not knowing whether he's going to be able to get through tomorrow spiritual, personal, but it's also his circumstances. Uh, Final line there, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? We don't know what or who that enemy was. David doesn't tell us, and I think that's probably deliberate. It could have been Saul, if you read the second half of uh, 1 Samuel. It could have been death, that's kind of hinted at a bit later on, or, or an illness or something. We don't know, and ultimately it doesn't really matter. But this enemy, whoever or whatever it was, seems to have the upper hand over him. Everything is against David. God, himself, and his circumstances. Now just having one of those things go wrong is hard enough, isn't it? But, you know, we, we kind of might be able to cope. So, so if you're really struggling in your relationship with the Lord, but... Uh, but actually you, you kind of, you're of you okay with that, you're understanding it, you're processing it well, and you're feeling well supported by, by people around you, okay, you might be able to cope. Or if your circumstance, everything seems to be going wrong, but actually you're having great deep joy in your, your walk with the Lord, and in, in it you have that internal peace that you know God is working through your good. So if you have one of these things to go on, it's hard, but you can kind of keep going. And it's all three. Triple whammy. Total devastation. and here's the thing. it's been like that for ages. Here's David's real pain. Four times, you've probably <coughs> noticed it. How long, O oh Lord. How long, oh Lord, how long, how long, how long? David has been going through this for a long time, and he can't see a way out at the end. How long, O Lord? Before we kind of move and transition into the next section, I do want us to note the most fundamental thing here is that note that in sorrow, David turns to the Lord. That's key. He turns to God and pours out his complaints. Even though at its heart, the pain that he feels is, is abandonment by God, yet still he turns to God. He brings his pain to him. Did you notice here in verse 1, and it's, it's the case with, um, all through the psalm, Lord is capitalized, which means that it's, it's Yahweh, the, the, the covenant name for God, the God who is committed to his people. And that is who David turns to. Though everything seems broken, everything seems to be going wrong, God, you are the God who is committed to your people. And so he turns to him. Where else could he go? Where else could we go? See, take your weariness, your pain, your sorrow to the Lord. Cry out to him. Lay out your cares and concerns and complaints to him. Total desperation. Secondly, he then asks God to intervene as we see David's desperate plea. Verse 3, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. It starts there, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Consider, take notice, as it were, turn your face back to me. Don't forget me, answer me. Lord, how long is this going to go, this isn't a hypothetical question, how long is this going to go on for? Come back. And secondly, he says, light up my eyes. A bit of a strange way of saying that, but but the picture I think we see is, is David is in such distress, possibly illness, that the kind of light has gone out of his eyes. That he is a broken man. You could see the sorrow in him. He says, Lord, light up my eyes. Deliver me from my grief. Renew me. Give me life. As you notice, there are three, lest. Lord, do this, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. You see, David feels like that there are two options. There is divine help or death. That's how he sees it. Divine help or death. And so, possibly this enemy, maybe illness, maybe death itself, but that it certainly fits. But he says, Consider and answer me. Lord, intervene. If you don't intervene, I'm done. Will turn your face back to me, step in and save me, intervene, Lord. And if, that, if you don't, then, well, the alternative is death. And if that happens, my enemies, they're going to be gloating over me. Now, exaggeration is common in hurting people. <laughs> it kind of feels worse. Uh, David might have been overdoing it, but, but I think probably not. You can hear the desperation in his requests, can't you? God act or or that's it it's over I'm done having turned to God which is the first key step having poured out his complaint before God he then calls on the covenant keeping God to act to do something to intervene to save him and here we come to the, the, the turning point of the psalm dramatic turning point In fact, and to our final points, choose to trust and praise. You see, however great the pressure and however great the pain that David was in, the choice is still ultimately his to make. How is he going to respond? Will he trust and praise? You know, the Psalms of Laments, they, they find their real beauty and their significance in those small words, but, and yet. We're going to see this again again over the, the next few weeks. But, and yet, everything changes. You see, despite all of this, despite what it looks like to David, despite what it feels like to David, verse 5, but I have trusted In your steadfast love My heart shall rejoice in your salvation I will sing to the Lord Because he has dealt bountifully with me There is nothing here that indicates that David's circumstances have changed It's not as though he kind of wrote verses 1 to 4 at one time And then when everything was better Then he's like, oh yeah, now I'll add in verse 5 and 6 in the sorrow, while waiting for God to act, David affirms, verse 5, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. You see, his present experiences could have been great enough to undermine his past trust. But no, such as is his confidence in God's steadfast love that actually the past transforms the present and gives hope for the future. David says, "But I have trusted in your steadfast love." David thinks back. You see God has a history with his people, people altogether and individuals. And God in the past has shown himself to be trustworthy. In fact, in the ultimate way, because that that word steadfast love is that key Old Testament word hesed. Again, it's this idea of covenant, it's committed love. It's an unfailing, unbreaking love that God has committed to his people. And David thinks back over his life. He says, I have trusted in that steadfast love. And doing so, reflecting on that past then is going to transform his future, as we'll see in a second. But for you and I, as we personalise, as it were, that line, as we say and pray, I have trusted in your steadfast love, it reminds us of God's track record of faithfulness in our lives. Sometimes, in the really dark moments, all you might be able to do is repeat that line, but I have trusted in your steadfast love but I have trusted in your steadfast love. Sometimes, it might be really helpful to, to make a list, maybe mentally or maybe literally write it down, making a list of the way you've experienced God's steadfast love. Sometimes it might be helpful to, to go over great gospel verses, preaching the gospel to ourselves, looking up promises that God has made as people. We remember God's steadfast love we remember that because God has given us his son, the Lord Jesus Christ well if he has given us Jesus who went to the cross for his people, well then how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things you see choosing to trust requires that we reinforce what we know to be true we reflect back on God's steadfast love and that, in turn helps the future Gains confidence for looking at it. You see, David then having affirmed his trust, having looked back and, and, and reflect on his trust and affirmed it again, he confidently says that going forward he will praise the Lord. Verse 5 goes on, My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You see, the complaints, the requests from earlier in the psalm have now reached their right destination. Praise. Praise. His heart, so full of sorrow, he says, I will rejoice in salvation. Again, time and time again, through the Bible, God rescues his people. He brings salvation. Suffering does not mean that God has forgotten or rejected you. And time and again, we can reflect on the salvation that he has brought. And we can say, yes, going forward, I will rejoice in salvation overflowing, that, that, that rejoicing that overflows in singing to the Lord because of all that God has done. It's a wonderful phrase, isn't it? That he has dealt bountifully with me. He has given me so much and we have such a fuller picture. He has given us so much in Christ. Yes, I will yet praise him. Here is the psalm of David. Now, it's helpful for a second just to remember that who David was. David was the anointed king. Now, again, we don't know when this psalm came, so either David was king or he was soon going to be king. And that also reminds us of, again, the anointed one, the Lord Jesus. You see, Jesus, he knew that same triple whammy, if you can put it that way. He knew that sorrow of separation. What was it? He cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forgotten me? Why have you turned your face away from me? He knew the loneliness of a troubled soul wrestling with all that was to come. He knew the celebration of a vicious enemy who had their way over him. The Lord Jesus went through this, and therefore he is able to help his people through this too. We come to him. He helps us to trust him and to praise him. And there's one I will reference in this book here. He said, look, no one taught you how to cry, but we do need to learn how to lament. I think there's something to that. And here, the reason I... Oh, I forgot to say this, sorry. If you read Psalm 40... Uh, 70, whatever it was I put on the talk notes last week, we will get to that one. But the reason I wanted to put Psalm 13 first in the end, because it's shortness, and we see so clearly the steps that David went through. And I want to offer, again, just to show this, and we're going to see this pattern through all the Psalms, but to help you in your prayers... In the pain. And it's very simple. (laughs) Okay, that wake you up if you'd fallen drifted off. (laughs) Clap. C-L-A-P. What are the steps of lament that we find here and throughout the Psalms uh, of Lament as a whole that can help us? Firstly, cry out. David, in his pain and sorrow, even though it was kind of some of his complaints with the Lord, he cries out to him, he turns to God and cries out. That's the first, as it were, step of lamenting. Turning to God. L. Lament. To, to pour out your heart. To, to lay out all your concerns, all your complaints before him, honestly. Cry out to him. Lament before him. Pour, pour them all out. A. A ask or appeal ask God to act, to change to intervene Lord all these things that are going on in the world uh, the world, in my life and whatever it may be please God, act and then P praise we'd put T but clat isn't quite so easy, clat at, at the end of the Psalms, we, eat, the Psalms we either find praise or trust or both and we have both here again which is why I chose this one today Praise and trust. So that, I pray, will be helpful for you in these moments. Sometimes a great thing will be to turn to a psalm of lament and make its words your own. Sometimes you're going to want to express your words. But, but how do you do that? How, what kind of form? Well, here's a very simple step that we find again and again. Clap. Cry out to God. Lament before him. Ask him to intervene. And praise him. And don't worry about getting your your prayers of lament perfect, as it were. Might just be ending your prayers with God, I choose to trust you today, help me to praise you. That's a great first step. To make, but I say, you might a really helpful thing to do is to take these words and make them your own. Psalm 13, David is in this terrible, terrible situation. It's hard to imagine something worse. Feels like his relationship with God is gone. He's internally wrestling and distressed and confused and and things around him are all against him. It's been like that for ages. Total desperation and yet he turns to God in that. He lays out his complaints. He asks God to change, to act and to intervene. And he chooses to trust. He remembers God's steadfast love in the past. admits to trust and to praise going forward let's pray our Father God we thank you that you are the Lord the God who is committed to his people and we pray to you this morning O Lord our God we ask that your stead- we would know your steadfast love more and more particularly, Father, in the times of pain and difficulty, would that be the rock that we cling to? Would we trust you and would we praise you all the days of our lives? In Jesus' mighty and precious name, amen. Amen.